You know, on some podcasts, there's a um, there's a level of production value where they use a soundproof room and have a microphone which costs more than a car and have all those muffled guards and stuff. I can't afford that luxury, so there's a bus outside and the kettle's on. Let's do this. We haven't done one of those in a very long time. You can even hear the bus reversing now. This is ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, it's evening and we're we're dealing with that. I haven't had a chance to record things because life has gone the way that life has gone and there's nothing I can really do about that. I did want to I want to ask you a question. And I feel like, you know, in this day and age it's it's well, it almost feels irrelevant because everyone seems to be doing it. When what was your first act of defiance? You know? When you think about life, when you think about the life you've lived and the things you've done, when was your first act of defiance? When when did you when do you recognize that you stood there and said, Ah, you know what? No. It it could have been to anyone. It could have been to sorry, knocking the mic. It could have been to, you know, uh a teacher, a friend, a parent. An institution. It, when when was your first act of defiance? We, I've been thinking a lot recently about uh, core memories and what they mean. And what you remember? I was chatting to some friends about uh, the Lion King. The Lion King has nothing to do with my act of defiance, but I was chatting about the Lion King um, and saying how those core memories. Very vivid memory of the Lion King. I tell you, I tell you a little story. Uh, so I would have been. Four, four, Four or five years old when I first saw the Lion King. I saw the Lion King in the cinema. I am that old. I saw it on release. Uh, it was a friend's birthday. I believe that friend's name may have been William, may have been Kieran. No way in hell they're watching this. So screw it. We'll call him Weirin. Um Well, you can hear children outside now. Ironically speaking. Um, so went to see Lion King, and it was his birthday. We went to McDonald's. I'd never been to. I, my family didn't go to McDonald's. We weren't that kind of family. We couldn't re- didn't really see it as a point of, of affording. But we went to McDonald's. This was back when McDonald's was like child oriented, trying to get you in with toys and stuff. And Weirin got himself a milkshake because uh, he was allowed a milkshake. But uh, he was the birthday boy, so he he was allowed the milkshake. I think I had a burger or maybe some nuggets. I can't quite remember. It was okay. I don't really remember that much about it. I do remember that it was years and years and years and years later, maybe until I was in like my 18s, 20s, that I actually uh, went back to McDonald's. I hadn't hadn't been to McDonald's in that period. I was a Burger King kid, teenager. I got into Burger King. Burger King was, it's, I don't know, it still is in my opinion, superior to McDonald's. I'm well off point. Either way, so we went to see The Lion King. And, of course, during the screening, there was about four of us and his mum, Mufasa dies. Sorry, spoilers. Uh, Mufasa dies, and I cried because I was four or five years old and just watched a father figure die on screen and then a lion cub try to revive his dead father. So I cried, and his mum reached over and 
touched me on the arm and asked if I was okay because I think she recognized that, oh shit, this was, this was a big moment. This is a big moment. And that is a core memory. That is locked in to the old noggin. Um, and I can remember it vividly down to the sights, the sounds, the smells, and all those kinds of things. I, I mean, I digressed earlier a little bit. I didn't really remember what I ate. But, you know, I remember being in McDonald's and the plastic white seats and the, the sounds and smells of those kinds of things and the fact that I didn't get a milkshake. All of these things add up to be a core memory. And we were talking about core memories, and I was thinking to myself, whilst looking at the news and looking at everything else around the world, thinking, when was my first act of defiance? Because, I mean, I am i don't think I come across as a disagreeable person. I don't even think I come across as a particularly rebellious person in any way, shape, or form. I, 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 I think if people meet me or see me, they just assume that I'm, you know, going along with the status quo. I think that's what that I I don't know I may be wrong but that's that's what I assume I assume that I'm looking at the world out there and going okay well I have my little job and I go do my job and I have an apartment to live in even though I'm still dealing with various uh, unwanted visitors within my apartment but I, I have that and and you know I get paid and I pay taxes and all these things and I'm I'm very agreeable with various parts of society. I don't think people look at me and see me as a rebellious person. I don't know if I want them to. I, I, I like being somewhat innocuous. I don't know. But at the same time, I do like to push against the grain. I do act as a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a pick at the scab and a little bit of a, you know, push against the norm of whatever is the norm at the time and you know I've been on situations with friends where we've seen things and done things and they've said to me Graham don't do it you know just just, just don't do it don't don't get involved in whatever that is that's you know I, I, I remember going for a hike I went for a hike with a couple of friends and there was a sign which just said don't climb this hill and they turned to me and said don't, don't do it Graham but I wanted to climb the hill and I'm not even that kind of person right I'm not. When I'm faced with figures, I'm I'm not. I don't instantly think, all right, gotta go in there. No trespassing signs don't do anything for me. I'm not looking at them, going, okay, well, I clearly want to go in there. You know, grab the bolt cooker, cutters, away we go. No, I see them and I'm like, okay, no trespassing. Now, if I see a gate surrounding a country house where they've blocked off a, you know public walkway and it says oh, oh, this is private property that's that's when and i know that i mean we've discussed this before i have a i don't have a problem with authority i have a problem with abuse of power and privilege and all those kinds of things that's when it brings out the the defiant streak in me but i was trying to think of when my when my first defiances were and there was a couple of stories which came to mind i guess so my first one, which I remember, was again as a child. We're getting a lot of stories in this episode. Um, again, as a child, I'd been sent to the store, to the shops on the you know edge of the state, and been told to get milk, given a fiver, and I went and bought milk. And I also bought myself a little treat, because it was something I wanted. And I didn't really think about it. I just kind of did it. And then when I got home, my mom asked me where her change was. From, you know, 
being at the store and buying milk. And I said, I haven't gotten it because I got this. And there was this look of disappointment across her face. And I think I may have even been told that I wasn't allowed it. Or it was a waste of money. But I did it anyway. Because I wanted it. I'd be given this abundance of wealth. And usually it was no problem. If I got some penny sweets or something. Um, and that that was the unfold. That was the unfold of the story. And, and that was an act of defiance against my mum. The, the weird thing with that story is that I, I did that. And then I couldn't enjoy the toy I'd bought. The toy I'd bought was one of those birds which you bounce on your finger. And it bounces and comes with a little thing and it bounces. Um, and I never put it out. And I never played with it. Because I felt so guilty and so bad about it. And it wasn't so much the fact that I'd done it. It was the money aspect of it. And money became a big thing within our family. And still is a big thing within our family. It's a, it's a whole conversation to have. And I could probably do a whole episode about how I feel about money. But it, be, it became this thing. And I didn't feel like I could put it out. And I ended up just... I think I ended up just donating it or giving it away. Because I I genuinely couldn't look at it. Even now. Even now. I get a little little knot just in my stomach when I think about that situation. And, and how it was handled and all those little things. And I don't know if I ever apologized for it. Uh, so... I'm sorry. And I am sorry for that. But it was an act of defiance. I remember other acts of defiance. I was in school and we were doing... Uh, we were colouring. We, we, it was a weird little... little. Now that I think about it, it was a weird little activity we were doing. And I, I must have been year two. Something like that. Not not very old at all. I don't know how old you are in year two. Uh, but, you know, maybe six, seven. Uh, we were doing this thing where you... You take a picture, you take multiple pictures, and then you... It's the same picture multiple times. And then you, you cut them out, and you put padded foam between each picture, kind of like decoupage, and you stack them up to make it into a 3D object. That's what we were doing. And I'd been given a rugby ball to colour in, the idea being we were going to cut it out, and then we were going to stack them up and, you know, be done with it. And we were being told to colour, so I did. I could. And then we were, we were told we had to hurry up. You had to hurry up. You can't take that long. Because we haven't got that long to do do lessons. You've got to hurry up. And I didn't want to hurry up. I, I wanted to take my time with it. You know. And I also get bored when I colour. It's the, still the same now. You know, I get bored when I colour. And I didn't appreciate it. So I decided in my, my infinite knowledge, but we were going to cut them out anyway, to just scribble. So I did. I just scribbled and I scribbled, you know, quickly across the sheet of paper with the, the rugby ball on it, and the colours went everywhere around the outside, over the lines, and all that kind of stuff. It was coloured in. Um, and my teacher came to me and was like, Graham, why are you colouring outside the lines? You're not meant to colour outside the lines. And I remember just thinking, but we're going to cut it out. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if I colour outside the lines. We're going to cut this out. There's a second part to this task. We're going to cut this out. And I remember being told off for it. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Because we're going to cut it out. And again, there was this satisfaction to this whole situation. And I think that was a that was a better one. Because I don't feel bad about that. I still feel pretty confident about that. That was, that was, you know, I was foreseeing what was going to happen. So I was 
taking a quicker approach, taking a more logical approach, taking an approach which I could be more comfortable with. Now, why am I... Now, do I, why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up these little, little acts of defiance? I have another one. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. I think it's because now we live in an age where social media is so big, right? Social media is huge. And I find a lot online... Obviously, there's a lot of protest online, and there's a lot of petitioning online, and there's a lot of getting involved with movements, which is great. It is all great. It is bringing visibility to a lot of things which didn't have it before. Even like today. Today, I saw a post which I think is from SAG after the strike is over. They've come to a basic agreement about their rights and their workers' rights, so they're going back to work. That is great. The only way that happened was because of social media. If that hadn't happened before, you wouldn't have seen it. Right? If this had happened in the 80s and 90s, you would not have seen it. It would have been a one news story, and then that would have been it, because the news stations are owned by media conglomerates, and that's that's the reality. But I saw that, and people got involved, and people showed their support, and people you know, put their money where their mouth is, and they stopped supporting some things, and they boycotted other things, and all of that kind of stuff came together. And... That's great. It's it's one of these things. And we've obviously there's all these things which are going on in Palestine and and, and Gaza and, and we had the whole situation with BLM and all of these movements are getting so much exposure, which is great. But there's this other side to it. This is a side where people now can end up being more performative than they are actually engaging with things. There's a line I like, which is, um, we live in a society where straight teeth in your mouth are more important than the words that come out of them. And I think it's relevant here, but from kind of a different standpoint, that people are are so interested in being seen to be for or against something that they don't really engage with the subject they're engaging with. And you see this a lot with places which were like Twitter, before Twitter, you know, fell off a cliff, is the amount of retweets, the amount of unthought-out signing things, the amount of supporting someone instantly when you see something without doing the extra reading, without, you know, involving themselves in other parts of demonstration and other parts of defiance. And I think it's not that that stuff is bad per se it's just it's very interesting to watch it evolve especially when more information comes out later on and i think it's something as society we we definitely need to take take notice of it's like the two stories i have i obviously i have these two stories and one of them i feel bad about and one of them i don't feel bad about and it's because the first story has all this extra information with it has all these things which then evolved from my act of defiance, which made me feel bad about the situation. And the other one doesn't. The other one has me and an authority figure and me being right. And I think we may see that with a lot of things online. You know, We may see that with more and more focus on protest because, again, protest is great. 
I believe in protest. I believe in strike action. I believe the laws which have come in to limit these things are ridiculous and draconian and designed only to benefit large financial stakeholders. But I also recognize that products and companies are going to exploit this kind of thing. And this is something which I think should be taken into account. I think you should think of how you defy things, how you look at things as a person. I've said this before in um, the episode, I can't remember what it is called, but something something like quietly boycotting or, or something like that, where you should think about how you engage with things, how you look at the world, because the chances are there's going to be some company somewhere which is just going to utilise the momentum and the movement to try and push their product, to try and push their aspect of things, to get you on their platform. Like now, it's, you know, support this petition, right? Support this petition, share this thing, share this item, share this view, share this share this, share this, this idea and, and get your friends to sign up. Give me your email address. Give me your email address and we'll, we'll share it for you. All these things. And it's, it's monopolizing off grief. It's monopolizing off pain. It's monopolizing off, you know, people's want to be involved and want to be active and try to stem the violence and the pain and the suffering of the world, but ignoring what they may be giving up in order to do it. Ignoring what they, they may have to give away to be able to show they're involved. I think when you track back through your life and your brain and you think of those memories, you have to recognize the ones which didn't go how you thought they would go and reapply that over and over again. I think you have to look at the wider situations and... Consider what your actions will be. Right. For instance, right now, there's a lot of things going on. And obviously a lot of petitions going around, a lot of walkouts going around. These are all great. I have basically stopped writing to my politicians within the UK. Because it was ineffective. It was ineffective and some of the messaging which was there was unclear to a point where I felt I was putting myself in a position where this just seemed a bit redundant. Sometimes I'll message, but not for everything. Because if it's done for everything, it lacks the impact, right? And the same with petitions. Petitions will go here, there, and everywhere, but I read a lot of information about how petitions are handled by the government, at least within the UK, and decided that only certain ones would be worth signing. Because I can be more effective not signing this petition to do with X, Y, and Z, but instead donating some money. And it's it's looking at it from those points of view. Looking at it from a viewpoint of it's never one size fits all, right? And that's that's the truth of any situation, of any act of defiance. It's never one size fits all. It's never standing up and punching someone will solve the situation. Because not all situations require that. Throwing money at a problem won't solve the situation. Because not all situations require that. 
anger, violence, walking out. This won't always solve the situation. And I'm not saying I have the answers to everything either. I just think it's something that we as a group of people should always be aware of. and should always be looking at and readjusting. This is what I find interesting as well, a kind of seeing anything defiant online, is, is watching the inventiveness of people. Watching people consider this. Watching communities and society deal with how to be most effective and how to adjust their techniques and get the message across is incredibly important. And I don't really know if I had a point to make today. But I've just been thinking about that first act of defiance and how that went down. Because that first story I told, it comes with the classic line of, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Which we've all heard at some point, right? We've all had it from an authority figure. I'm not mad at you, I'm just disappointed in you. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. We've all had it. And yet, I have another story. I have a story from when I was older, teenage, 15, 16, maybe 14. And I was I was in the school uh, band. I play clarinet. Oh, I was in the training band, I should say. I never went up to the full band because I, I left the classical, um, what's the word, groupage. That's at some time before I got to the big band. I was never quite good enough for the big band. Um, wasn't quite quite there. I wasn't the music student they wanted me to be. Anyway, um, so there was a band practice, and it was around the time I was losing interest in it. I was mainly losing interest in it because of the the rampant one for practicing, and also because of the push to go for grades and have to play certain kinds of music to go for these grades. And I never really interested in me. I was more interested in just learning the instrument. Um, but I decided to skip practice. So I told my friend George that I had a dentist appointment so I wouldn't be going to practice so he could tell a teacher. So I lied to a friend and I went home and I told my mom that practice was cancelled. It's foolproof, isn't it? You have these two things, two lies, completely, completely fine. However, George then proceeded to take hours to go home after practice, which then got his mom worried. Which then caused her to ring my mum. Which then revealed that George had taken two hours to get home because he'd been talking to some friends on the walk home and dawdled on his way home. Mum had left the house and gone to find George, to look for George with his mum, to calm her down. Came back and all the lies had fallen apart. And she once again said, I'm not angry, Graham. I'm just disappointed. And yet, I didn't feel bad about it. I felt more annoyed. I felt annoyed that I'd been caught. I'd been caught in this lie. And it's because in reality, I tried to use someone else for my own means. I tried to exploit George. I tried to get my way by doing something that I shouldn't, when in reality all I had to do was just be honest and say, you know what, I'm, I'm maybe not, I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I don't want to be in this training band anymore. And again, it's just an early act of defiance. I changed my technique 
from the first few times I'd done it. And it didn't work. And then I didn't do that again. Other acts of defiance I took on to myself. I took on as, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the one who gets affected. And it's going to be on me. No one else is going to have to explain my actions. And I think when we look at society, the world at large, and the things going on in it, that's what we have to do. We have to think, how can we help improve that situation without detracting from that situation? How can we engage with everything else going on out there without making ourselves the focal point to the wider world? As I say, this is another wandering thought of a podcast. But I'd be curious when your first acts of defiance were and how they went. Because I see children all the time defying their parents. I live in an area near a school. Kids don't want to do what they're told. Teenagers don't want to do what they're told. The world is never comfortable with being directed with what they're told. So I'm curious what yours are and how you feel about them now. I'll talk to you guys later.